Listen on. This is the truth of it. Fighting leads to killing. And killing gets to warring. And that was damn near the death of us all. Look at us now. Busted up and everyone talking about hard rain. But we've learned by the dust of them all, Barter Town's learned. Now when men get to fighting, it happens here. And it finishes here. Two men enter, one man leaves. Welcome to episode 96 of Vague Zone. I am one of your hosts, Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And today we are discussing Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. We are continuing our journey through the Mad Max franchise, George Miller's Mad Max franchise. Uh, last, week, last week we took a detour with uh, The Road, and we are back. Um... So back in the Thunderdome, baby. Yes, beyond Thunderdome. <laughs> Thomas, before we get into the movie, will you read for us the IMDb synopsis? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, 1985. After being exiled for the oh, sorry. After being exiled from the most advanced town in the post in post-apocalyptic Australia, a drifter travels with a group of abandoned children to rebel against the town's queen. It's interesting that they mentioned post-apocalyptic Australia because this is, like, it's very clear that this is Australia this time. I don't know yeah. if it, in the Road Warrior it's very clear necessarily where it takes place. Yeah, it's not very specific about those things. It, like, even in that introduction uh, little monologue, we get we, we hear about the world at large, but we don't really mm-hmm. get a pinpoint exactly where we are. And it's funny you mention that because when Mad Max appears on screen and we get our, our hero sh- shot push in, we have like a didgeridoo playing, which I yeah. thought was a little like excessively Australian in a way that felt a little on the nose, but I don't know. I think it excessively works. Excessively Australian. I, so not, maybe not excessively. <laughs> I thought it was just on the nose. I think that's the best way to describe Tone it. Tone it like, down. It's like, um, okay, it's, we got that Australian pride. That's really cool. Um, yeah. And then towards the end, it, it definitely is very australian with how it like gets summed up and i i appreciate that i thought that was a nice touch yeah uh this is the first movie directed i think the, well the only movie in this franchise with uh, a shared director credit it's george miller and george ogilvy yeah. um i was surprised by that i've seen this movie before i i guess <laughs> i've never noticed that this was a a shared directorial effort yeah, and I think it's because of there was a, a tragic incident involving mm. the producer Brian Kennedy in the process of doing location scouting. I think he died in a helicopter crash. Yeah, which is unfortunate. And so yeah, I read about that. And so George Miller sort of was he's he quoted saying like, "Yeah, this is a lot of like grief, grieving in the production of this," and so he had had to have someone there to sort of have his back and to fill in those gaps. I think I read that he said he doesn't even like remember a lot of it. Because he was just, like, working through grief. That's trippy, um, yeah. Because it's such, like, a movie filled with so many details, and it feels... I don't know, there's a lot of moments in this movie where 
things do really stick out and they seem like to be done by the very careful eye of George Miller. But yeah, I might yeah. Yeah, sort of give, give credit to uh, George Ogilvy as well because yeah, it's, it, it does feel like a unified vision. So what do you think of Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome? I like it. I would hesitate to say that I like... Uh, so this one's a little bit weird. I feel like it's a good movie. I don't know if I'm like fully in love with it, but I also don't know if I hate it because like these movies are all pretty strong. There's a, a fantastic practical effects. It's like just visually, it's just really great. You know, it's a movie in '85. You know, shot on film. It's nice to be in this really dusty, apocalyptic setting where we finally get to see civilization sort of coming back and reforming a little bit. And so there's mm-hmm. a lot of great things in this, like just the emphasis on just like how cars have just affected their psyche and their culture. It's like, you know, you have to park your weapons here and we have a, a, a town crier selling camels, but he's like, Oh, there's zero emission control. And like just yeah. little things like that, where it's like, they're still very heavily connected to cars and gasoline and these, these things that they need to survive. But also, it, it, I don't know. It's it's a weird one because I think it's very top heavy. I think like the best part of this movie is in the first third of it, and then the other two thirds aren't as strong. But there's still good things and good details and great shots and moments in those other two thirds of the movie. But I did find myself getting kind of bored and like a little distracted at times when it's like it's just Max kind of trying to lead these kids back mm-hmm. to to town. And so I, in that regard, I don't think it's the strongest Mad Max movie, but it's still a great way to sort of end this first trilogy. I don't know, the first trilogy, but it's a great way to end one, two, and three. We have a little bit of optimism towards the end of it, which I do appreciate, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's kind of a mixed bag. I'm not too crazy about the music. I love Tina Turner. She's fantastic. You don't like all um, the weird, like gong shit going on. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, like I said, like there's prop stuff that I like, but yeah, when this opens up and it's like, uh, like an 80s song, like a mid 80s, yeah. like ballad kind of. I was like, this doesn't really feel like Mad Max to me, and those things don't really work. It's like, it's like a, the it's action, very is different little, vibe. Yeah, the action's kind of slapsticky, kind of Looney Tunes. We got a lot of bad guys getting gonked on the head, and I don't know. It just, it, yeah, it feels a little safe and not as like well, gritty as the other ones. This is the first one that was rated PG 13. Oh, okay. So, yeah. It I definitely makes sense. Yeah, it definitely has, like, a cartoonish vibe. I remember feeling like it had sort of a Muppets vibe. <laughs> okay. So, like, this is the first time you've seen it, right? So, yeah, I remember I mentioned in the last episode that the Thunderdome scene was something I saw as a kid and was mm-hmm. perplexed by and needed my dad to help explain the whole Master Blaster uh, baby face thing, which was very strange. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I hadn't seen the rest of this movie and are we going to get into kind of spoilers, or are we going to kind of hold uh, off on some things? Yeah, let's hold off, because I, I want to get through my thoughts first, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, but watching this fully for the first time, there was a lot of moments where I was like, oh, wow, that's actually really fucking cool, and like, kind of made me feel get that like magical feeling. Some some people have compared it to Spielberg, and I, I see a little bit of that, but... A little um, bit of Amblin. Is... Well, I think, yeah, there's a yeah. little bit of Amblin stuff with the kids, especially. Um, yeah, yeah. What'd you but, think? uh... So this is the second time I've seen it. Maybe the third. I think the second. Um, And I remember the first time I watched it, I straight up didn't like it. (laughs) I was like, this feels like two movies shoved together. Like, I like the Barter Town stuff. I feel like that stuff's pretty compelling. And then we are out into the desert, and it's just it's a completely different shift. We're getting brand new characters. Like, there's this whole myth, legend element to it. Like... 
it completely shifts. Yeah. Uh, and it didn't work for me at all. This time going into it, knowing that, um, I feel like I liked it a bit more. Um, I almost want to, like, watch it yet again just to, like... I, I think knowing what you're in for helps helps this go down. Yeah. Um, like I said, I feel like it has a little bit more of a Jim Henson vibe. Um, I think part of that is because of the music. Uh, once we go into, like, you know, the pig shit scene, um, yeah. it's just, it's playing, like, this, like, really lively music. It feels like a fucking party. And it's, like, meanwhile, <laughs> all these people are just, like, working and they're all miserable. Um yeah, it just has such a different vibe. Like we have way more characters uh, this in this huge bustling city of Barter Town. All of the Mohawked men. Um, yeah, the budget definitely shows on screen. Yeah, it just—I don't know. It reminds me of like Labyrinth or something. Um, totally. But yeah, then we get all the stuff with the kids and like yeah, like I said, like this time around, it's a little easier for me to appreciate. I feel like early on in the movie. Matt, Max is already he's already a badass he is like this more action hero type level hero we're seeing his instincts he's very reactive uh, yeah. he commands the situation fully he has and, a reputation people are like turning heads when he walks into town and so it feels like cinematically there is like this myth making there is this like heightening we're trying to elevate this guy to heroic legend and then so later on in the movie when it's like narratively he's literally this legend yeah. uh i feel like it 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 didn't feel as awkward like knowing where it was going um for sure yeah and, i felt that and like i love a lot of and i love a lot of the shit with the the kids um the whole captain walker story and the way that that's portrayed when they're telling yeah. the story they have that frame and it's almost like they're enacting a movie or something like uh, yeah it's like it's both like like a talking stick but also like no this is we're children of the media age and so these this is the language that we know how to communicate through yeah and like the viewmaster and all the storytelling behind that captain walker's wife or whatever yeah, um yeah. i don't know all that stuff's really special and i am intrigued by the idea of like uh, a, a group of kids surviving in the post-apocalypse it is a little weird that like they're telling him to fly immediately it feels like a peter pan thing um mm -hmm, yeah and i guess maybe that's why people are comparing to spielberg too is because of hook but um yeah yeah but yeah I, I i dig it a bit more i it's still it's definitely not my favorite mad max movie but i'm a little more on board uh yeah. you said you you said you wanted to get into spoilers though what uh what... well you sort of mentioned it uh you talked about them relaying this uh story this legend of like how they got to this oasis so basically just in case people wanted a little catch up so after the incredible thunderdome fight which we haven't talked about yet um mm -hmm. max gets exiled and i just love the way that he gets exiled is like he gets sent to the gulag but the gulag is him getting put on a horse they put like they dangle a thing of water in front of the horse and they put a giant like head on, on him so he yeah. can't see where he's going and they just send the horse out into the desert which i thought was pretty fucking hardcore like a, it's like a fucked up way to like send someone off i heard someone online being like this feels like it's not a good use of resources <laughs> <laughs> like they could have eaten that horse yeah um, it's very silly like when they put the the ceramic head on is like it's, it always gets a laugh for me when i see that but um when he finally gets to this oasis and gets to these kids and they're talking, yeah, I think that scene where they're telling him this legend of like how they got there and how they survived, 
was truly magical. That was a moment where I was totally on board. I was like, this is really incredible. They're passing around this like wooden thing. The, the kids have these weird props where they have like a record on a, a stick and they like they think that it does something that, that but it's not it's just you know it's just a, kind of like a relic. There's a like a hubcap that's their gong, which is nice. But yeah, when they show them the viewfinder and it's like, remember these images, and like we see like images of Sydney and it's like gorgeous at night and it's just like it's just really fucking magical the way that like yeah. they portray that legend the river of light or whatever yeah yeah, yeah. I, I really really love that um and I thought that part really kind of saved it for me because I was yeah getting a little bit bored and I was like this doesn't feel like a Mad Max movie but yeah then sort of they make this journey back and like we see a kid get like swallowed up into the sand and it's like this felt like I was like that's wrong like no like it's like we have to like fix these things like, this is like not okay like thank god they have max to sort of guide them back to safety and so yeah i just it's like, weird I that really... he straight up punches a girl in the face that that is <laughs> like a like a 14 year old girl that is a part where i was like okay that, i don't know how well that would fly <laughs> with modern audiences but yeah. i think it is worth noticing just a detail and how that's executed is when she's like trying to run away and so he like grabs a gun and like shoots at her He's, like, shooting at her first, but she keeps going, and then she's, like, throwing spears at him. Yeah. So he, like, dodges the spears. And then when he finally climbs up and gets close to her, he, like, folds his hand very slowly and then does it. I, I don't yeah. know. Just, like, that, like, weird, like, hesitation just added a little bit more to his character. But before we get too deep into that, what do you think about the Thunderdome scene? Like, the, the, the thing that makes this movie this movie? Uh, it, it's cool because it feels like it's... Um... It's like a cheat. Like it's like they they wanted kung fu, like wire fu action sequences, yeah, yeah. and they were like, "How can we narratively justify that happening in the Mad Max universe?" Because it would be very strange if it just occurred out of nowhere. And yeah. so, also, it's just like the idea of a thunder dome, <laughs> a thunder dome. <laughs> the idea of this like metal dome where everyone can just climb up, and they all have a great view, <laughs> and yeah. they're all like passing weapons in and stuff. I don't know that just, it seems really cool to me like i would love yeah. to go see something like that uh yeah and it's I, a hazard for them like if they get yeah, stabbed is a... <laughs> like you can't you can't there, there's no world where this is yeah you can't legally pull this off <laughs> there's way too much way too much too many issues here um yeah, yeah. i love the thunderdome yeah it, i just yeah it's just so just so visceral and so great how it unfolds and it feels like it's really cool that uh I don't know. Thunderdome is like a thing now. Like you could say, "Oh yeah, we're gonna go to the Thunderdome." Like it's a, it's a very, it's a common piece of cultural vocabulary that's come out of this movie. Um, yeah. I remember when I was a camp counselor, I was I was a counselor for like ten through twelve year olds or something like that. Mm. Um, and one of the things we would do is we would have pillow fights, and I would we would get duct tape and draw a square <laughs> on the ground. And we would send two boys into the square and we would say two campers enter, one camper leaves. And we would chant and they would just like try and hit each other out of the square. It was great. That's that's, awesome. That's so fucking fun. Yeah. Like I just really like just how it sort of escalates. Like he inserts Bartertown. He meets Auntie Mama, like this incredibly charismatic figure, Tina Turner, uh, doing a great job. And then like proceeds to sort of get coerced into this deal where he like she needs him to take out uh the master portion of master no the blaster she needs to take out blaster so she can control the man who's in charge of this pig shit refinery they're refining pig shit to make fuel but there's uh there's this uh conflict where he like gets on the pa every once in a while and says like 
who runs Barter Town and yeah. makes it like a master runs master blaster runs Barter Town and and so in, in order to sort of usurp him from that power, she like in, gets Max to sort of do this thing and challenge him. And when we finally get inside of this dome, it's like it's built up so well where we see it during the day and we see it when he's like walking around. But when it happens at night, it's like we have like, oh, they're using the fuel to like light like a marquee is like a, there's like mm-hmm. a Thunderdome marquee that they're using. So they're spending fuel on this. Like this is their justice system, but this is also their entertainment. Yeah. Where like we, we recognize that violence and war has led to the crumbling of society and has led to these dire situations. And so... So we need to so things don't get out of hand. Expression of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So things don't get out of hand. So things don't get apocalyptic again. We have to have a, a very civilized way to solve this. And their answer is a dome with spikes in it. We're gonna hang weapons in there, and then we're gonna attach you to elastic and have you guys fight out. Yeah. And yeah, just like and so they start off bouncing, and so you have like that, that like bouncy, wiry kung fu kind of feel. But then yeah, like. Once you sort of get a hold of a weapon, you can use that to cut your enemy down, and now you know you have that bit of advantage. But maybe like the ch- you get a hold of the chainsaw, but you know you can't rev it up, or when you yeah. do rev it up, it only revs for like two seconds. Like, I don't know, just those little details are really great. Like when Blaster grabs Max and pulls him and sends him he flying tries to launch a spike. him. Yeah, yeah. It's just like oh shit! Like there's just so many little things in there that just make it dangerous. Yeah, when and I think I... of the. I was going to say, I like uh, Auntie Entity's, her entrance to the Thunderdome, yeah. which is she has a zip line that takes a chair straight to, like, an opening so she can oversee yeah, the So line. cool. Yeah, it's I was like, how does she get back you, up? <laughs> yeah, what do you think about the guy, like, the announcer also? Like, I like his, his role in this as well. So someone else had mentioned that this movie, like, we've mentioned it's kind of cartoony. It, I, it reminds me of Jim Henson. I saw someone else say that it reminds them of anime. And okay. this announcer, in particular, he, for whatever reason, him, I think him and his two like women who are like on the sides, uh, yeah. they really reminded me of like an anime. Uh, I never thought of that. That's interesting. And I think, yeah, because I mean, like this movie is so fucking weird. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, we don't have to get we don't have to get into that part. But 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 yeah, this guy, I think he gives a terrific performance. This announcer, um, he's doing a great job. Um, the camera seems to love him <laughs> yeah yeah just like yeah like the ask the idea of that yeah this is their way of justice but this is also their entertainment so like we need a, a, a grand announcer to sort of like tell us all these rules and kind of just lay out lay out everything very clearly and yeah then we have like yeah like the like the nascar girls kind of like oh, they're showing off these weapons like they're like yeah like oh, here's these yeah. blades and there's like a chainsaw just yeah just very visual and then yeah as the the fight progresses and we get the call back to the dog whistle i don't know it's all just done very well and yeah then that segues into him being exiled it's like when he when they reveals that oh there was a deal and like you know oh he broke the law then we're gonna spin the like uh, break a deal spin the, the wheel, wheel and like, yeah. <laughs> it's like this wheel of just like awful options there's like amputation auntie's choice yeah like, spin again <laughs> If you can spin again, then that's that's could be good or bad for you. Yeah, spin again. That's yeah, my favorite details. Like they gotta insert a joke in there. Um. Yeah, there's uh, one thing I want to mention. Um, you talked about um, I forget what film it was where like you said that like their languages were devolving. It was like an apocalyptic. Well, in the th- in uh, threads at the end of threads. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. in threads. And so I think that happens here in a nice way where. Uh, 
or master when the way that he talks, he's like, "No trade, do like all like his language is incredibly it is stilted. interesting that he speaks so, like, that just, way. Like, yeah, I, I thought that was an interesting choice. I want you to know what you thought about that. Well, okay, so see, I wasn't really thinking of that. I was thinking of the kids. They have a very interesting way of speaking. That too, yeah. And so, so like this is something like Emily and I we're noticing like throughout these movies and i think we've discussed it here it's just like the elements that he takes from previous movies and like reintroduces or like explores to a, de- a greater degree in later movies it's like he likes the idea of a feral kid what if i have a whole squad of kids yeah. <laughs> like what if like and like one of them looks like a war boy and so like later on he reintroduces like that sort yeah, of thing yeah. like he loved this like the aesthetic of this character let me play around with- what if i had a whole squad of that character <laughs> Yeah, it's um, so cool that we get the, the expansion of that in Fury Road. But yeah, going back to uh, Master, yeah, I I guess I hadn't really thought about like how he speaks in a broken, unusual way. I wonder if part of that is it has anything to do with his relationship with Blaster. Um, Maybe I think that's a good, like he good speaks to him in a simplified manner. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that I think that might be spot on because yeah, it's just. His character is just clearly one of the most intelligent characters in this setting because he's the one that has the knowledge of how to turn this train into what this like yeah this locomotive into like a part of this uh, shit pig shit refinery yeah just like like just that I would that, I wouldn't that, know where to begin doing that <laughs> yeah yeah like I don't know how to turn this entire horde of angry pigs and hogs into lighting marquees for the Thunderdome like empowering this entire barter town Uh, speaking of this pig facility though there's a character in there called Pig Killer and we see that name in the opening credits Pig Killer (laughs) and I just fucking love the names in these movies like like it like I hadn't like as soon as I saw Pig Killer's name in the credits I was like oh okay like what's this guy's story like he he kills pigs <laughs> like yeah. like toe cutter has an interesting toe cutter has an interesting name because it's like maybe there's like more to the story like besides him just like cutting people's toes off like is 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 he like i had never really thought about toe cutter as a name like how did he get that name like d- did he do that to like torture people <laughs> like just his thing what was the circumstance <laughs> where they decided to call him toe cutter but then with Pig Killer, it's like, eh, he fucking kills pigs, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. He, he literally yeah, killed a pig. <laughs> yeah, but also, like, there's a little uh, extra to it. Like, he killed a pig in, for means of feeding his family. Yeah, and because of family, that, yeah. it, he's, he's been punished. And, and, and it's also sucks. He's like, what's your sentence? And he's like, oh, it's just forever. Like, I'm just like, it's going to be down here for the rest of my life. And it's like, that's really fucking grim. Uh, but also a name that stuck out. Also why I kept asking about the announcer. The announcer's name is Dr. Dealgood. And so oh, yeah, yeah, his name in the opening credits, like, well, I was like, okay, this is kind of funky. I, I like these names a lot. Yeah. Auntie Entity. Uh... Yeah. What do you think about Tina Turner in this? Um, I mean, she's fine. <laughs> like, I got no, <laughs> no complaints about Tina Turner. I, I think it's interesting that uh, her character, spoiler, uh yeah i think we're getting to that point yeah yeah that like she just kind of forgives max at the end lets him live uh she's just kind of amused by this whole conflict um she seems like the least bad of the mad max villains um i guess she lives by a code perhaps yeah I, i thought that was interesting yeah it seems like she is very much into the idea of 
maintaining as much order as possible and so like needless killing might not just be a part of her repertoire but yeah i just appreciate that we have like someone that has as much charisma as tina turner in this role and i think it works towards the movie's advantage in a way where we don't really have like i think it's great for diversity reasons and like having like this really powerful female character black female character in the center of this but also like she just has I think like a physicality to her yeah. that just kind of isn't really in she these is other very movies. imposing yeah. yeah it's like when you first get introduced to her like little secret like not layer her like little room like on the top or whatever and like she has like clear water she has fresh fruit she has a saxophone player yeah like, she has the like sax this is back baby <laughs> yeah like like i don't know i just like i really just love that yeah like like it, showing yeah she's cultured but she's also like willing to do these back backdoor deals to kind of you know to retain as much power as possible and i don't know um, yes. she kind of reminds me of daryl hannah's character from blade runner like maybe in like her design like the physicality of like this strong woman who will like can fucking destroy you yeah kind of with like the flared hair a little bit yeah yeah and i think yeah like her letting him live at the end i think that also ties into a little bit of what i was frustrated with this movie is the last chase scene is definitely cinematic definitely dynamic i love the idea of we have a train versus like sort of trying to escape these cars versus like cars and cars or bikes versus cars and these other movies. So it's a nice little bit of uh, variety. Um, but I, yeah, I just don't feel like there was enough car action uh, to sort of like justify yeah. it. It feels like it just like they, they kind of go and then Max does his little, his little thing where he gets the, the pilot to kind of get them to escape and he drives off and, I was also just kind of confused, like, how is this train driving? Like, because there's just tracks out there? Yeah. Okay. That is, yeah. Yeah, they get out there. <laughs> there's, uh, oh, yeah, because there's, there's also a cool point where a guy is chasing them with one of those, like, pump carts or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the pump carts that are... Another thing that reminds me of Looney Tunes, something that shows up quite a bit in, like, those old Looney Tune cartoons, like Wile E. Coyote and, like, you know, just, like, those things are, like, very indicative, like... like the 40s and 50s or whatever just like very distinct image i mean the stunts during the car chase are still pretty incredible like i think that main like villain performer uh he's like climbing from car to car and shit and it's all really happy you're actually seeing someone climb from car to car while they're all speeding along and it just feels fucking dangerous and then like um he's at one point he's hanging on a rail that's uh horizontal extending from a, a train and he's having to like lift his legs over like yeah. rails and stuff it's yeah yeah so the it's person really talking impressive. about his iron yeah the person you're talking about is iron bar i think that's his name yeah he's like the yeah. he's like the main henchman basically yeah and i also just want to point out that yeah he, his character is really interesting too because yeah he's a shorter guy still like you know got, he's kind of buff he's you know, definitely like intimidating in, in his own way but he has like this iron bar coming off of his back with like a geisha's face on it yeah. and so like the first time you see it it's kind of like in a crowd and it like you if you don't quite look at it quite right you can be tricked into thinking like oh yeah there's like another head just like floating right above. yeah I, it must be like to like fool enemies or something yeah uh, i just love distance. that yeah i just really just love that little detail but yeah I also i found myself getting frustrated that he there's like this a gag that like yeah he is gonna 
keep surviving and he's gonna keep like you think he's gonna get killed but he's actually not and then yeah. after all of these incidents even his car gets flipped over you know we see a, a middle finger come up after and oh, it's yeah. just like yeah it's like okay yeah it's funny that he survived and everything but i don't know it takes that danger away from it and so it just doesn't feel as as if it feels more playful yeah yeah that and that's why yeah overall why it kind of like doesn't work for me because i'm like the worst, I think the worst thing that happens in this movie is, like, a kid dies. It's, like, it's yeah. like a, a kid gets sucked into the into the sand. And, like, yeah, it's, like, I want to see these bad guys get fucked up. Because these, you know, they're slaving people. And, like, you know, they're 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 not doing that great either. Uh, what do you think about the return of Bruce Spence? We haven't discussed Bruce Spence at all. Um, yeah, I thought he was cool. Uh, uh, I think it's interesting that he his character seems to be a little bit of, like, a remixing of his other yeah. character. Like, or is same person theoretically, but not quite. Sort of how like you could there's this the theory of Max sort of being told in different eras, or like mm-hmm. this like a different this, this Max can be a different person, or just like this legend can sort of just be adapted onto different people in different times theoretically. And so yeah. I, I don't I think it kind of, it works. It would be cool if yeah, like there's always a Max and there's always uh, some sort of pilot. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, yeah, there's always a Ma- for every Max, there's a Jedediah. So like, there's always going to be just like a, a quirky pilot guy, and you know, I think I like that he has a, a son sidekick who's kind of helping him do these schemes. That so also that feels like it's because like that's one of they're like the two of the first characters we see. So it also feels like it's grounding it in this like younger audience sort of. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm, I guess I also was a little perplexed at of the. I don't know uh, the build of his plane, like how everyone is able to like shove. Yeah, into... I definitely had that moment too. I was like, "How are they all gonna fit on this thing?" It's like a really like it's a plane design that you've never seen. Like, like mm-hmm. it's a, a very odd shape thing, where like a long elongated kind of chamber on the bottom where like you can just put a bunch of cargo and store stuff, but these long wings extending. I know I'm kind yeah. I'm kind of jumping all over the place, but um, just like speaking of Bruce Spence. Like that opening shot of where it's a, it's it's a shot meant to be like POV from the plane, yeah. And you just see like Max with his like camels, um, it's such a fucking cool shot because it's like look at how much landscape they had to work with, and it's completely bare, and it, yeah. and like we just insert like this one actor, this like with it with his camels out into this the middle of this vast vast open space. I don't know it really drives the point home that like there's no civilization here yeah yeah i think there's a lot of really great uh i'm happy you brought that up because yeah there's a lot of really great uh shots in this where yeah it does emphasize that yeah this is like a very gorgeous vast place but also a very dangerous and empty space and when the kids are telling the story about the airplane and then they finally lead max to it that's one of my favorite that's shots that's very cool yeah. Pro- probably in the first three of these movies it's when like all the kids are like all on this plane we have just like this great wide shot and it's just like tour sunset almost magic hour yeah but, it's like, like how it do you look- do this they built a yeah. fucking plane out here <laughs> like, yeah it's just it looks yeah, it's awesome. like back back then yeah like when practical was everything and like you have this huge budget and it's just all getting poured onto the screen it just it just looks so fantastic Building a plane for one cool scene of getting to see a plane. <laughs> worth it. Worth it. <laughs> Spare no expense. Um, yeah, anything, any additional thoughts on 
beyond Thunderdome. Uh, yeah, there's a, f- there's a few things. Um, I Talking about, like, language and, like, these, these kids and kind of how they're carrying this culture, um, they refer to death as Mr. Dead. Uh, I thought that was interesting. Like, yeah, like, Mr. Dead got him, and then he Mad Max is like, I'm the one that, like, stop, like, I'm the one that stops Mr. Dead or whatever. He, like, like just kind of gets on their level to explain that. Yeah. But also... Uh, we have like the one kid that has the this record, and I think it's attached to a pair of headphones. And I, like they're like trying to like make this a connection and like find a way to like use this record in conjunction with these headphones to like to find out more information about Max. Or, like, I think they have like a radio to... or something. Yeah. Yeah, but when they finally get to the train at the end, and they're like going through the guy's stuff, and they find the record player, and he like put there's like. Oh, I think this like these two things go together, and he puts it on yeah. there, and they like they're turning it, and they, like nothing's happening. Then Max kind of puts his hand in there, and then like shows him how to do it. I just really love that scene. Then yeah. you get the reveal that it's a, a French language tape, and they start like teaching them like French phrases. I just, I, just the way that it gets uh, set up and paid off is just really satisfying. And I feel like all of the audio, like it's a very quiet scene. Like you're just listening to the sound of like the driving, and the score drops out. And it's just this quiet interaction of these kids trying to understand how to work this record player, and it feels like it just like underlines it. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, yeah I think that those moments, those like small moments, sort of elevated this a lot. I made a joke when I was like, "Oh yeah, like we're gonna watch Thunderdome," and critics say it's the best one, sort of uh, saying, implying that it's the worst one. Yeah, I was like, but, well, uh, did, "Do they?" <laughs> like, I, I, I don't, like, like, I didn't want to say like I didn't like this one. Like, I don't want to color your perspective, but. Yeah, it's just one of those things where, yeah, Thunderdome was, is, some was considered not the strongest one, but I kind of had that thought going into it, but after watching it, I was like, this movie has a lot of really great moments in it that are very distinct and uh, are, like, really heartfelt and really resonated with me a lot more than I thought it would, and so yeah. after watching it, I was like, this one, like, yeah, it's, it's really good in its own way, but yeah, it's just... It's just kind of clunky and awkward in, in some way, in some portions. So it also feels like in this one... So in the first Mad Max movie, he, it's a revenge movie. Second movie, he is ultimately driven by self-interest. Uh, yeah. But then he ends up like helping these people at the end. He has like a little bit of change of heart. And then in this movie, it feels like... When he meets the kid, he the kids, he's not immediately like wanting to run away. He, he acknowledges like they have a safe place. Um, so I guess there is some self-interest of like wanting to stay there. Um, but he doesn't have to go, he doesn't have to help these kids necessarily. It feels like that we are getting a more compassionate Max in this movie. Yeah. And like that moment with the, the record, it's like, it's a character moment. It's like a sweet moment. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then them i also meant talking about we talked about australia in the beginning the fact that they like all fly to their escape and we get this great like descent into like the destroyed sydney and it's mm-hmm. just like completely covered in sand and it looks cool and then, <laughs> yeah it, look, it looks cool and then we get this like nice little uh, jump forward in time to like show like oh wait now like more survivors are showing up we've sort of to like inhabit this space and kind of make it our own again and kind of are inching back towards the society. It's just like, it, it's sentimental in a way that really works. And then she's like saying like, we like, we've gotten all the stuff. We like, we're getting back to like 
keeping these stories going, but we'll never forget the guy that like sacrificed everything yeah. to sort of help us get off that thing. And it's just like, yeah, getting like goosebumps now thinking about just like the way that they they just they tie in the legend to it is a, is done in a really sentimental way. That's awesome. It feels like uh, the end of what was that at World's End? Um, like that was. It feels like World's End was mo- was homaging this movie with the uh, Nick Frost remembering the story yeah. of Simon Pegg. Because um, yeah, I don't, because I don't know like what other movies I've seen that in. That's um, sort yeah. of like epilogue, but um, but yeah, I love the final shot of the movie, which is Max wandering with. I think it's the rifle that he has on his back. Um, yeah. And it does have, like, this wandering samurai sort of vibe to it. Um, I remember the first time I watched this movie, taking a screen capture of that shot and, like, <clears> setting <throat> it as, like, my my desktop background on my, like, work laptop. And I was, like, I didn't like the movie. So that was, like, the downside. It's, like, <laughs> I, li- I liked Mad Max as, like, an idea. I loved Fury Road, Road Warrior. Uh, but I didn't like this movie. It's like, damn, it's a shame that that, like, great shot is in that movie I don't like. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> But yeah, I've come around to it. Yeah. Yeah. It has its redeeming qualities. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that might be it for Mad Max. What have you been watching this week? What did I watch this week? I watched, I rewatched The Sandlot. Um, okay. It just like happened to be on a streaming service. So I, think I watched it on Disney. But um, yeah, it's just, it, it's a shame. I was like reading about the director because I was like, this is like a well directed movie. Like, some of the shots are really interesting. It has, like, some interesting, um, like, uh, stylistic choices with, like, weird wipes and stuff like that. Um, okay. The voiceover really works for me. The soundtrack really works. And yeah, so I was yeah. like Green onions, man. <laughs> yeah, and so it was, like, written and directed by the same guy. And uh, I was, like, looking up what else he, he's done. And it's like, he's kind of done a lot of shit. <laughs> like, he did, like, okay. Beethoven 3 and 4. He did a sequel uh. to The Sandlot. He uh, tried to make some sort of, like, I want to say, like, a college sex comedy or something like that. Like, he hasn't been making very good stuff. So he just, oh, I think he made some other, like, family baseball movie, too. Like, he's just a big baseball guy. Um, So, yeah, it was just, like, he, you know, lightning, caught lightning in a bottle and uh, with this one and I, I guess couldn't make it work again, but... But yes, like there are like there's like stuff in that movie that hasn't aged that well. Some of the you know, squints, (laughs) Uh, tricking a woman. Yeah, tricking yeah, tricking the lifeguard and the kissing him. The uh, the is it the you throw like a girl? Yeah, you you play ball like a girl. Yeah, yeah. But it's also like I feel like even when I was a kid, I, I I knew that that there was something a little weird about that. But it's also like it takes place in the fifties, so maybe you could yeah. show it to your kids and then just have a conversation with them about like gender politics, uh, yeah, and how things have evolved. Um, yeah, I don't know. If- yeah, that's a movie. Um, funny that you watched that because that's one that's like just burned into my memory. So like, there's things that like I couldn't forget. Like Green Onions was on my weed smoking playlist for the longest time. Like it was always just like, oh, I'm gonna listen to like a bunch of like rap songs and then like trick the room and put on Green Onions and like <laughs> put everyone on their heels a little bit. Um, the erector set part, like just yeah. like, just the idea of like, yeah, we're just gonna make a very large contraption to get this baseball back. 
Yeah, like a lot of shots of the baseball just like rolling into and like the, the shots of the catapult like closing on it. Like I yeah yeah I don't know. There's yeah, like the it, sound effect of the metal getting thrown through the air. Like yeah, James Earl Jones is just great. Like him giving him the like it's like oh yeah it's like uh, fuck your baseball with one signature. Here's here's like a baseball from the world. Series. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like holy shit. This like uh, ham talking shit while he's uh, playing catcher like. It feels like there's so many scenes in that movie that just feel iconic. They're not really contributing to the... They're not driving the narrative forward, necessarily. But they are just, like, these wonderful little moments. Them taking the chewing tobacco and going on the ride. Like, it's not advancing anything. It's just, like, a coming-of-age moment of stupidity that uh, helps color this greatest summer of his life, you know? Yeah, there's shit. Yeah, just a classic for a lot of people our age for sure. Like yeah. you mentioned it. Like, yeah. Then they made the sequel, and I remember seeing that come out. It was like, hmm. Like, it's like, I, just like more kids. I know, like I, I know I'm too old to watch this, and so I'm not even gonna try to approach it. Yeah. Well, I read the description, and it's like a new group of kids, boys and girls, at the same diamond <laughs> ten years later with a new dog. <laughs> like it's like it's just the same movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I watched so that, Sandlot. I also watched uh, The Night House. <laughs> like, let me double check. That is the title, right? The Night House. Yes, it's this 2020 Rebecca Hall horror movie. Um, the plot is that, uh, you know, her husband has recently died by suicide. He took his own life with a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Um, and now she feels that her house is haunted. Um, th- there's a presence and she starts to like investigate like looking into his phone looking at his laptop looking at like they had built the- I think they built in the house together uh, they built in they built the house together um, he has like all these blueprints she starts like looking through his blueprints and it feels like s- something's off <laughs> like he was yeah. he was going mad um, drawing like mazes amongst his blueprints and like drawing a house it says like a reverse house which is like a mirror image of the house they live in and gotcha. so it slowly gets pretty creepy I, I think it has some really really effective horror moments um, that I really really enjoyed however by the time the movie ends I'm thinking to myself I'm not quite sure what that movie was saying I'm not quite sure what it was expressing it feels kind of messy. Um, gotcha. I think it's I think it's worth watching for the good horror moments. Um, I think it's pretty compelling. Rebecca Hall, for the most part, does a good job. I think anytime her character is drunk, she doesn't do a good job of playing. She doesn't do a good job of playing intoxicated. Um, hmm. Okay. But um, but yeah, I, I, as a horror thriller mystery, um, maybe you know, put it on your list for spooky September and for. Yeah. the lead up to Halloween um, definitely and then the last thing I watched which perhaps we'll save because I, I feel like you probably watched it too is the rehearsal are you caught up on the rehearsal uh, yeah it's crazy I think the newest episode comes out right around the time we'll be done with this yeah and I'm looking forward to that but yeah. Uh, but yeah we'll, I, I, I can wait until you go through yours and then we'll <laughs> we'll catch up on the rehearsal so go ahead okay this will be a quick rundown because I do a, a few things we'll uh there's one episode of Better Call Saul left. Mm. Uh, it's almost over. I'm fucking so sad and also happy because it's just been 
so fantastic of a final season. Uh, there was a lot of talk about the big cameo out there, the big, uh, you know, there's this whole thing about when are Walt and Jesse going to show up in this yeah. show or not. So Jesse looking I, like he's 50 now or some shit. Yeah, it's great. Um, so that does happen. I won't say much besides that, but I will say in the episode that it happens, there is an SFSU alumni in that episode. So I want to give Someone a shout out Someone we know? Yeah, uh, well, Neil Honda, I, he was Cinema Collective, I definitely worked with him on, like, some smaller, you know, stuff back in the day, where, like, did, like, in-class kind of stuff, you know, <laughs> so, I don't know, that doesn't count as work, we were in class together, <laughs> so, uh, a, a, an acquaintance from SFSU, um, yeah, so he shows up as, like, a stoner character, and as soon as he's on screen, I was like, holy shit, hell yeah, like, we got, we got an SFSU kid in there, so, just wanted to give him a shout out for being in, like, one of the biggest episodes of TV that yeah. came out this year is in the episode that Walt and Jesse show up. And so I think that's really cool. Um, so yeah, Better Call Saul is just really nailing the landing, just doing it so well. Um, these last couple of episodes have been uh, primarily in black and white. And I th- yeah, it's just a, a really nice way to sort of show that they have a lot of the color of this world has got is been completely Drained. ripped out. <laughs> and now we're seeing like how this this man is going to kind of like crash land and i know it's gonna be great um so watching that uh friend of the show rc digital my friend adam he recommended i watched the show only murders in the building uh we kind of did a trade-off because i was ranting to him about the bear and he was ranting to me about only murders in the building and i was like i'll watch your show if you watch my show (laughs) so he i think he enjoyed the bear and uh only murders in the building is um they're about to finish their second season um, second season I don't think is as strong as the first season the first season is really good um, but I think Steve Martin and Martin Short are still just like at their A game Martin yeah. Short is stealing the show he is like a great character in this show and yeah I just really enjoy his line readings and just like how his character is kind of colored he's, he's he uh, has this quirk where he only eats dips. That's how he stays young and fit. And he only eats hummuses and, <laughs> and dips and stuff like that. Just, just stuff like Martin that. Where, Short. <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah. Martin Short is just incredible. And so I was hesitant of watching the show because of Selena Gomez. She hosted. That's the exact SNL. reaction I had. I remember seeing the trailers <laughs> yeah. and I was like, oh, wow, Steve Martin and Martin Short. I'm going to check that. Oh, wait, what? Selena Gomez. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people had that reaction. And I think that reaction is fair because, um, yeah, she's. She's great, but she's not quite at that caliber of, like, you know, Steve Martin, Mark Short being these, like, comedy behemoths with incredible, these incredible careers. It feels, yeah, like a very, like, transparent attempt of, like, we gotta attract more of an audience. Like, these guys are getting old, like... Yeah, yeah. a little bit. A little bit of that. And she hosted SNL this past season to promote the show, and her episode was not that great. And I was like, oh, oh, that kind of turned me off a little bit. But I I think she's, she's winning me over, like, there are definitely episodes where she shines. Um, I think overall the writing in the show, I think is the best part of it. There are some weaker episodes where it'll be like a filler episode and it will be kind of weak in terms of character and weak in terms of mystery. But when the episodes are really good, you get like just these really fantastic character driven moments where it's like, it's about a murder podcast. So they're, they're like interviewing people and they're like, they're kind of interrogating people. And in the process of that, 
you might have a character that, oh, for the first five episodes, they come off as awful, they're an evil person. Uh, why, why would, you know, this person, this person's probably the murderer, that they're, you know, they're a piece of shit, and then you have a conversation with them privately, or they get to have, like, a monologue and kind of, not, not, not a monologue, they sort of narrate the episode, and we get to see their philosophy, and then you're like, oh, wow, it completely turns and changes my perception of this character. Yeah. And it the show does that uh, a, a couple of times, and it's always really refreshing to sort of spend time with those people you think you know, but when you find out more about them, it's really great. And also, I think the, the budget is going all into casting. The casting is just incredible across the board, where like you have Tina Fey as like a side character, and uh, first season... Uh, one of the residents of their apartment building is uh, the singer Sting, and so he shows up for a couple episodes and has a fun performance. And so there's sometimes the casting can be distracting, but I think it works toward uh, towards the show's advantage when these characters show up. Like yeah. Jane Lynch shows up, and she's just just hilarious, and just like I don't know, there's just a lot of good stuff in that. Um, so that, and I sort of wanted to. Give a shout out to, to Prey. Like I think. Oh yeah, another, fuck! I watched Prey. Oh, I totally uh, forgot. <laughs> yeah, another like really awesome movie that came out this past week, and I was watching it in the first like ten minutes of this. I was like, oh, this is gonna be kind of a bummer if it's just like a predator preying on indigenous people the yeah. entire time. But the movie, uh, spoilers, spoilers for Prey. Uh, the movie does a brilliant fucking thing where they like introduce this uh, band of French trappers, and so like the predator can just slaughter all these French dudes, and it's like, okay, this is like, this is where oh, you kind of have fun. Yeah, it's now like, we get to have this fun. Is, this yeah. is, it's like I want to protect my the Comanches. I want to protect those people. I want them to be like you know, you you reposted that yeah. There's a Comanche dub. I'm hoping mm-hmm. I'm pronouncing that correctly, which I didn't realize when I watched it. Yeah, so did you watch the... Like the record, I watched, version? yeah, the English language one. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, so I watched... Because of that suggestion, I watched it in the Comanche dub for the first time, and it was fucking awesome. Cool. It just, like, it's just, like, everything you would want a Predator movie to be, and it's just, like, a, a really good, like, kind of soft reboot kind of resetting of the direction of this franchise, and hopefully if more movies or anything else comes out of it, they can sort of take a note from Prey and sort of just focus on one Predator and one you know, person, one hero character and kind of, yeah, that would, that would be the best way because I watched every other Predator movie as well. And (laughs) some of them are just fucking terrible. The only one I haven't seen is, is it called Predators? Is that the one with Adrian Brody? Yeah, that one's solid. I've heard that one's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I still, yeah, I want to check it out. I just, (laughs) like, I can only have so much desire to check out uh, a Predator movie. Um, yeah, it's like I watched Alien vs. Predator and I was like, this is just really dumb. I and saw I that in theaters. Alien versus Predator. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I remember I knew this guy, Winston, who maybe I've told this story on, on here before, but um, he would watch, I think, The Predator every week. <laughs> he would okay. watch The Predator <laughs> once a week. And so he got like multiple tickets to see Alien vs. Predator the day it was coming out. <laughs> And we were like, what if it's bad? And he's like, he's like, I watch The Predator every week. That's not great. <laughs> he's like, it's, he's like, I'll be fine. Yeah, I was like, it's, it's okay. No matter what, he's going to walk out satisfied. Yeah. Did, he, did he like it? I, I, I never followed up. <laughs> I, gotcha. I assume he did. Um, yeah, it's interesting because that one, it, it's like there's stuff that's cool about it. Like, I like that it takes place in the pyramid and like, yeah, Sonal Lathan's great. I think uh, it's 
all, it's all right, but yeah, when you watch Alien vs. Predator Requiem, which you probably won't watch it, but it's, it's like, it's bloodier, more violent, but it's just a way where shot movie is super dark and just, like, muddy, and it's just kind of incomprehensible sometimes, and I don't know. I, I think the the first one's weird because it's, like, it's PG-13, so it doesn't feel, like, as dangerous at some points where it doesn't yeah. feel like a true alien movie or a true Predator movie. It feels like this weird thing in the middle, but I don't know. Pray, pray is great. Pray is really dope. Um, yeah, I think it kind of puts Ember everything kind of back. Killing yeah. it. <laughs> um, yeah, just like yeah. Yeah, I want them the... to. So like when we were watching it, I was like, okay, like one, it like totally worked. Like as soon as we see the like that title appear on screen in the classic Predator font, I was like, this is fucking badass. Yeah. Uh, and then it got me thinking that like okay this is how you save this franchise is just like have just drop the make it like assassin's creed where every version of this is just a different era and be like okay we're gonna have the predator go up against the vikings we're gonna have the predator against ninjas <laughs> against samurai against uh aztec warriors and like against the ancient egyptians like just yeah Show us all yes. the times that they fail. Like, they keep coming back because they keep failing. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah, just use those amazing cultures and just, like, just highlight what's great about them and then how, like, yeah. these conflicts can be really great. It's like it becomes... Having a, it be, it be, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, finish your thought. Uh, I was going to say, having it in this Native American setting, I just kept... I was saying, continuously while watching, I was like, this is fucking hardcore. This is fucking raw. Like, just, just like, the fact that it's really stripped down, she has, like, just an axe and a dog. <laughs> like, yeah. she was just, like following foot like footsteps and shit like it's just yeah just it's just like just very simple like you don't need it to be like this military high-tech thing like just go back go into the past go go back yeah that's that's where the, the good material is because yeah you turn it into a saga of like the collision between humans and this hunters hunter alien race um yeah. but yeah like that's why i like the second one like i look i know it's got problems i saw it when i was young yeah. <laughs> uh but uh, I, I just, I don't know. I like seeing a Predator run around the city. And it's like, isn't it like, I think one of the elements of Predator 2 is that it's like also during a heat wave. And like, because they uh, have like heat vision and stuff. Uh, no, I don't. Uh, well, I watched that one too. And it's not a heat wave. I think it's just, uh, it's interesting because I it's. I remember everyone's covered in sweat. <laughs> it, yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's just because it's just, it's just hot as hell in, in LA during that time. But yeah, I, 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 I like it too because yeah, it's. A movie that came out in 1990, but it's set in 1997, and so it's like we're theoretically looking forward, kind of, yeah. but not really, like not super far forward. There's a great train sequence where it all is on a BART train. I was like, oh, that's fucking Oakland. Like, there's like, there's no way that's fucking Los Angeles. Huh. This is yeah, I love to. I think I was gonna you say Bill yeah, Paxton. Uh, you got yeah. Is uh. Danny Glover is Nick Nolte or Gary Busey in that one? Who I... Yeah, Gary, Gary, Gary Busey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Barry Busey. Uh, Gary Busey as the the FBI agent uh, leading the, bodies the hanging whole... upside down inside of like these penthouses and yeah, cool yeah, shit. I was gonna say I think the best Predator movies take place with one Predator. I think the other ones are like Predators is is good, but it has three of them, and I think when you have just one Predator, it just allows you to sort of characterize that predator much more and it's a little more uh guided when does predators take place what is what is that um i don't know what like what year What's the takes premise, place in. it's just like uh like 
a bunch of criminals get dropped uh, into a alien planet, and that alien planet is uh, uh, so it's battle royale with aliens <laughs> with a predator. Yeah, yeah, but also I think like it's a great ensemble cast. You got like Danny Trejo, Topher Grace, mm-hmm. uh, Marshall Ali. Uh, um, yeah, Adrian Brody is solid in it. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, Lawrence Fishburne's in it. I think yeah, it's it's, it's solid. Okay. I, yeah, I, I gotta think. check it out. That sounds fun much better than the predator which was no bueno i was gonna say like okay if we do the whole thing of every movie is like a different point of in history of a predator being dropped here we could do a thing where it's like a future movie where a human is going to the predator planet to hunt predators (laughs) (laughs) and they gotta defend themselves yeah also there's a great uh just a random segue a great uh Reddit user, his name is a user, uh, Dolph Lundgren's front kick or something like that. Okay. But he does these, he does these really statistic heavy breakdowns of movies. And one of them is how long would it take to make this booby trap that's in the predators? And it's like, it would have taken uh, like an insane amount of time just because it's like, it was done by one man who's being watched by predators. I don't know. It's, I think, uh, that's a, a, a solid movie. Uh, rehearsal. You're all caught up yeah. on rehearsal. Uh, up until yes, yes what are what are your thoughts i'm now i'm trying to remember what has happened <laughs> so yeah like the first episode is the like little standalone thing with him and core trying to get core to confess uh to, yeah make this confession to a friend in his improv no, in his yes. trivia group a friend in his trivia sure. group and so yeah then he has his interaction with core and then midway through proceeds to explain to him that like this was no accident i've been rehearsing this interaction for x amount of time and so yeah that first episode is pretty contained to that one character that one person and then but then yeah now we're in the realm of a woman wants to have a child and so she's rehearsing having a child um so now that's like our through line do we only have have there only been three episodes or four um I think there's been four, okay. and I think there's only going to be six. So, I, or I think no, there's been yeah, I think there's two left. Because maybe that first episode is just introducing the concept, or I mean that what the second episode is introducing that concept of like raising the child, uh, swapping out babies, all that stuff. Yeah. Then is the third episode they find her a boyfriend, <laughs> or she finds a boyfriend? No, that's 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 in the second the episode first, too. The, yeah, okay. so that's Damn, why we yeah, cover a so, lot of ground though. Yeah, that's why Scion, I, I said on Twitter, and I'm going to say again here, Scion is my favorite episode of TV to come out this year just yeah. because of the progression of it is fucking poetic and just so cinematic. Like, the opening scene of that is, yeah, like, a mom putting a baby to bed yeah. and an uh, intern crawling into a window and swapping the babies out. It's like, okay, and going, what the fuck is this? Like, this, yeah. like, we know it's a framing device, but what the fuck kind of framing device is this? <laughs> Yeah, and then as we proceed to sort of meet Angela and discover her plight of, like, yeah, wanting to raise a child and, like, yeah, agreeing to do it under these circumstances, we meet her, discover her uh, deeply Christian beliefs, we discover, you know, like, she had a kind of a a tumultuous childhood a little bit. drug abuse and stuff. Yeah, so we sort of, like, start to develop our own thoughts and beliefs on her, and then, yeah, then she starts going on dates with other other men, and then we meet the, the character Robin, who is just like 
at the tip of the iceberg. Like, oh yeah, like he seems to be like a nice normal match for her. But then Nathan goes home with Robin, and then we it just yeah. like it just escalates on just like what a shift of, like, of a how much of a sleazy bro this dude is. Yeah, talking about how he's gonna have sex with this woman and like getting high and arguing yeah. with his roommate and yeah doesn't use condoms he has yeah. three mattresses inside of his bed <laughs> like yeah like even like the small thing of just like yeah dude we don't have any mayo and he's like yeah you should go buy some <laughs> it's just like like i've, I've known people like that 100 percent we're just like yeah just just take that effort and buy it yourself <laughs> like don't just don't let it be on me every single time uh and so i think the episode after that is with uh, where he's trying to juggle Nathan is trying to juggle being a father within the scenario while also continuing his rehearsals and having um, yeah. a man who wants to uh, chat with his brother about how he deserves some of the money his grandfather left him but he yes. isn't allowed to touch this money if he is in a relationship with a gold digger apparently yeah um, his, his girlfriend allegedly is a gold digger and so there's this whole conflict, and so they make a Raising Cane's chicken restaurant. With their, their Which I've chicken. never been to a Raising Cane's. I didn't really know. I didn't know that that was a real thing. My sister came to visit, and then she took the kids to Raising Cane's because awesome. they watched the show, and they all got in the mood for it. Um, yeah, I've heard good things about it. I want to try it, but yeah, I think it's like a. I think it's just uh, chicken fingers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I think it might have originated in the South and then well, got, like, more popular over She here. said when she went that there was, like, a huge fucking line. So, apparently, it's very popular. Um, yeah, people on the internet, on the social media, whenever they're doing meaningless <laughs> fast food rankings, that's always one that shows up where, like, oh, yeah, Raising Cane's is fire. But, like, I might I've go there tonight, one, so. <laughs> honestly. Like, where, where is there one? In there's the one. It's by the airport. So, it's, like, that's the problem is, like, it's by in and out so it's like if I'm driving over there, oh, I'm probably just gonna go to okay. In-N-Out. Gotcha. Shot talking about the Oakland Airport. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know there was a Raising Canes over there. Yeah, oh, my, my grandma's house is over there. I can easily get some Raising Canes. <laughs> yeah, we should uh, I'll, I'll go have a Raising Canes date. <laughs> when I come back in September for those four days, it's just gonna be chicken fingers and marijuana. I swear <laughs> okay. to God, just the entire time. Damn, going hard. <laughs> coming back for a, I'm coming back for a party essentially. Come back for for Trunks's wedding, so it's gonna be a good time. Oh damn! Um, so yeah, they make up a scenario where the actor that he's rehearsing this with also has a grandfather. Um, he asks, that, I, "I'm not sure the man who's doing the rehearsal what his name is, but like, he gets looped into helping out the actor and the actor grandfather, and they make up yes. a they make up another scenario where he." is going to be left a bunch of money, but he's also going to be cut out of it so that they can feel what his anger is like uh, and explore that anger in a, in a different environment. Um, and it's very... It, it, like They get a better performance out of him when he's rehearsing and talking to his brother, and it feels like he's being very honest and perhaps like uh, getting to this deeper emotional space <laughs> um like it's like a therapeutic thing what's weird about that episode is that he disappears <laughs> like he yeah, and he nathan never goes... talks to him again yeah it's really sad like yeah because there's clearly like just a lot of effort being put in to sort of facilitate this emotional uh sort of this cathartic release and sort of this this interaction yeah. and it seems like that i forget the guy's name but it seems like that guy 
sort of gets that in the rehearsal moment when he's just full on crying when he's talking to the yeah. actor in the rehearsal version and he goes off set and then after he walks off set that was little did Nathan know that's the last time he was seeing him in person yeah. and he just completely ghosted and him it's like that, did he ghost really him sad. did he ghost him because he knew he was being fucked with <laughs> like that like yeah all this shit was fake or yeah did he ghost him because he walked away from that experience with what he needed yeah I don't know it's weird like in the moment it was just like I'm more I was so caught up in just like the production value of just like how you know he would go to these lengths like just yeah. get, getting these actors to add another layer of meta-ness to this and then also I go right to Reddit when I was, want to see other people think about it and people are pointing out that oh yeah the, the scheme of this actor grandfather is the grandfather is digging for gold and so he has this yeah, guy literally a gold digging, <laughs> yeah becoming a gold digger and some people were like maybe he, like that clicked or like his girlfriend like sort of put two and two together and it just became embarrassing he sort of felt like a fool because he had to like get kind of intimate and pull his like underwear you know, to help him use a bathroom yeah. or and something it's like how do they fucking stage that shit <laughs> like... yeah it's just wild and then yeah in the most recent episode the the nathan sorry no the fielder method is yeah. like he goes to los angeles and has like this group of actors and they're like just kind of training with these methods so he's making these actors follow real people but then he zones in on one guy named Thomas, and then it's like, then he starts to embody Thomas, and then it becomes another layer of he moves like, into his home, <laughs> yeah, going into his house and shit. Like it's just like insane, and it, it's like I, all of these I have to like watch twice this because is... like I just get so swept up in like just how it's all done versus like the actual small like, emotional things that are happening. This They're last so episode, subtle. episode four, felt the most like planned to me, where it's like some of the episodes feel like okay, we go we go in with this plan, we go in with this wacky scenario, we see what comes out of it, and we just kind of, like, yes and everything that's coming out of it. So, so yeah. like, so we see how far can we take take this thing. Um, here, this one felt like the most, like, orchestrated, where it's like, okay, we have a... Like, I feel like when they brought the actors in to study the Fielder method, like, they knew that they were going to be casting lookalikes for these people, so they specifically brought actors in that they could find lookalikes for this is my my guess yeah. <laughs> um yeah i could see that they like they have this sort of narrative planned of like okay we want nathan to replace one of the students so we're gonna like sort of create this narrative that like one of the students is struggling and that nathan can like work with him this way we can pursue this element of like you know having nathan <laughs> play this man uh with the fake acting class um yeah, and eventually move into this man's house. Maybe like moving to the man's house wasn't always part of the plan. Maybe that was them yes anding like a situation that uh, occurred. But um, yeah, it felt like the most sort of uh, and like even the stuff with the family with Angela, like um, like this idea that like oh we're gonna bring in like he's gonna be Nathan's gonna be away, so he's gonna when he comes back the son is gonna have aged significantly. Um, and like we're gonna have the son reject him for having left. Like even all of that feels a little more composed than than usual. A little bit. Um, yeah, but yeah, even so, I feel like with like considering Angela's past, where she's like, yeah, like I was drinking, I was doing drugs, or whatever. I was I was awful to my parents, and then then flipping that with making okay yeah. now the the child she's raising is now rebellious and like telling her to fuck off and like. It sort of, it just turns the mirror back, and I don't know. It just, just I don't know. It just it's so fucking good, and it's I get caught good. up in just like yeah. 
yeah, like whenever yeah, kind of whenever I'm not focusing on just like the actual logistics of the staff and the lawyering, like like how many NDAs have to get written for this to, to be possible, I just like thinking about yeah those small moments that just like kind of can go by unnoticed sometimes. You've seen Synecdoche, New York, right? Yeah, yeah. I need to rewatch this, it. Yeah, that last like, episode was like full on Synecdoche, New York, to me. Sweet. Um, but yeah. Oh, Emily had this great idea of like a missed opportunity for that episode where she was like, they should have got, he sh- Nathan should have got the kid a dog because then like he could have got the kid a puppy. He leaves and goes to like, comes back three weeks later. So now the kid is nine years older and he should come back. And now the dog has passed. <laughs> oh. <Wow. laughs> the dog has died. And then so, that would be very and then intense. so at the end when they like decide to like reverse time, the puppy's back. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like that just, would have been yeah, a really so satisfying funny. like punchline. Yeah, there's yeah, that'd have been good. Yeah, there's also just like there's so much in these episodes where, yeah, him like narrating how like how he would think Thomas would be thinking about himself and like it's like oh yeah like, he's like so smart or whatever I want to impress him or something like that or, like just the way that he's like narrating the scene as if he was someone else it's just like there's yeah. just so many like little jokes kind of just sprinkled in there that it's like you blink and you kind of miss him. Yeah. Brilliant. One of the most brilliant things on television. Yeah. Nathan Fielder it's is... It's a bummer. It's only going to be six episodes. Yeah. Oh, that is a bummer. And it's like, what will, yeah. they, what will they even do for a second season? Like, some people are joking that, like, maybe this first season is a rehearsal for him to make <laughs> an actual season. Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, he's going to be doing something for Showtime, so he's he's still oh, really? working, okay. still making stuff. One of the greatest... The greatest living artists... Greatest artist of our time, Nathan Fielder. Yeah, he's he's definitely one of a kind. All right, I think that's all for this episode of Vague Zone. Uh, all right, that might be it for episode 96 of Vague Zone. If you'd like to contact us, you can email us, vaguezonepod at gmail.com. If you have questions, comments, or concerns, I haven't done this in like 10 episodes, so <laughs> we do have an email address besides just a Twitter and me on Instagram posting black squares of spotify images you can tweet at us at vague zone let us know what you're watching let us know what you think about the interview prey alien versus predator requiem let us know what you think about those those great films um yeah we're going to continue our coverage with another detour from mm-hmm. daniel oh but i don't Waterworld. oh might as well oh shit might as well do okay. Waterworld. <laughs> I think there's two versions. I think there's two cuts. We will figure out which one is the better cut. I think maybe the director's cut is a better cut, but also I heard there was a dub of Mad Max where it's like the original, like more Australian. So so the U in the US release for Mad Max, they dubbed over the normal voices because they thought the Australian accents were too thick. Yeah, that's crazy. So I'm glad we didn't watch that. (laughs) I'm glad that one has not, you know has been kind of removed from the conversation good okay good because yeah it's always kind of it's great that we're in the streaming era but also it can be kind of tough to find those specific versions if you're looking for them so yeah that's good to know but yeah looking forward to Waterworld. now (laughs) i joked about thunderdome being bad some people say that's i I might have a guess for Waterworld too oh cool very fun Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, well, this has been episode 96. I'm Thomas. And I'm Daniel. We'll catch you on the next one.
Sunshine.